minimalists. <laughs> this is the Minimalist Private Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the way to love. But first, let's start with uh, more about less. We read a little something here. And since last Maximal episode, we read something from Anthony DeMello. I figured this one was, I mean, it's from his book, The Way to Love. But this little meditation here is its a great way to start this episode. By the way, we're here with Beck Shern, Becca Shern, Rebecca Shern, <laughs> minimalwellness.com <laughs> so is her website. Names. How to Love is her podcast. Uh, you can find it on Patreon, patreon.com slash how to love. This is an excerpt from Anthony DeMello's book, The Way to Love. This chapter is titled, He Went Away Sad. Has it ever struck you that you have been programmed to be unhappy? And so no matter what you do to become happy, you are bound to fail. It is as if you fed mathematical equations into a computer and then failed each time you pushed, pushed it to turn out lines from Shakespeare. <laughs> if you wish to be happy, the first thing you need is not effort or even goodwill or good desires, but a clear understanding of how exactly you have been programmed. This is what happened. First, your society and your culture taught you to believe that you would not be happy without certain persons and certain things. Just take a look around you. Everywhere people have actually built their lives on the unquestioned belief that without certain things, money, power, success, approval, a good reputation, love, friendship, spirituality, God, they cannot be happy. What is your particular combination? Actually, that, that's a good place to, to pause for a moment. I want to get back to this because the heart of it is on the next page. But, uh, Bex. Josh. Everywhere people have actually built their lives on the unquestioned belief that without certain things, money, power, etc., they cannot be happy. What is your particular combination? Ooh. <laughs> Juicy. Uh... I don't know what it is right at this exact moment. What has it been? In the past, it was a family, mm-hmm. um, a husband, mm-hmm. a quote-unquote successful career. Mm. That was really, really important to me yeah. for a while. <laughs> and you had those things, really. I did. You I had all of those things. I had all of those things. I worked really, bliss, really hard. Hours a day. And mm-hmm. it was a nightmare. <gasps> Wait a minute. Shock. Dun, dun, dun. You're saying that your society and culture taught you to believe that you would not be happy without certain persons and things, and then you got those certain persons and things, and you weren't happy? Hmm. This is... Sounds like a familiar story. (laughs) (laughs) They should make a documentary about that. They should make two documentaries about it. (laughs) So, Ryan, uh, do you have a particular combination? I know mine has to do with um, significance Mm. to to a great extent, which I've I've, I've become more aware and more and more aware of its uh, detrimental effects on my well-being. Yeah. Um, The... I don't know, man. For me, it's there's something with freedom, but not in the sense of like freedom. You know, it's more like, do I have the ability to spend my time the way I want? Mm-hmm. 
And then that allows me to cultivate love. It allows me to cultivate passion. Um, but things like significance and security and, you know, uh, what are those hierarchy and needs? Who's, 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 who's Maslow. Yeah. Maslow's hierarchy needs. So there's a lot of those things that will get stepped on mm-hmm. that interrupt my freedom. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that answers your question. It doesn't, but that's okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, cause there's not really a comp for me. The, 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 there's no combination of things as much as the freedom to do what I want with my time. To me, that is what not even happiness is. That's what living a satisfied life or a meaningful life. Um, but yeah, the, the things that you're talking about significance or whatever, like sometimes those things actually get in the way of what it is for me to be happy or to live a meaningful life. I hate that he's using the word happiness because it's, it's ephemeral and yeah. 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 Well, when, when he says happiness, he talks about he's, he, in a greater context, when you read all of his work, you, Mm -hmm. you realize he's talking about happiness in the moment. Uh, so yeah. And, and, um, you may even replace the word happiness here with tranquility. And Mm. I think that's what he would, he would mean. Right. In fact, in, in our book, love people use things. We, talk about eudaimonia and and there's sort of different words for love we're going to get back to that in a moment but let me let me finish this passage here once you swallowed your belief you naturally developed an attachment to this person or thing you were convinced you could not be happy without then came the efforts to acquire your precious thing or person to cling to it once it was acquired and to fight off every possibility of losing it This finally led you to abject emotional dependence so that the object of your attachment had the power to thrill you when you attained it, to make you anxious lest you be deprived of it and miserable when you lost it. Mm. So, well, it's interesting, man, because if you think about it, and I thought about this with, um, I don't know, man, like when I was, you know, doing a lot of pills and drinking and drugging and, you know, chasing all the ephemeral things, um, which Josh cannot relate with, but I know Bex can relate with this. I can, but my my drug was significance. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting though, because I got to a a place where I didn't want to be weaker without those things. And when you rely on what he's talking about here Mm -hmm. to be happy then basically what you're saying is, is I'm less of a person and I am weaker without the job. I'm weaker without the relationship. I am weaker without the money in my bank account. I'm weaker without the car, whatever it is. And when I look at it that way, it makes me feel like kind of dirty, but also it makes me feel weak. Like, am I really going to look in the mirror and be like, I'm a weaker person without a good job title? Right. Well, that's showing up empty and expecting to be filled by the thing. And I think that's what we're talking about here with any of these things, whether it's money, power, success, approval, a good reputation, love, friendship, spirituality, God. We expect to, I'm empty, so God is going to fill me up, or Mm. friendship, or a marriage, or a career is going to fill me up, right? Approval really resonated with me in that lineup there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, and and so for me, there's a slightly different twist on that. Mine is significance, which is, it it could be, uh, it could be construed as a type of approval. I would think in many ways it's more dangerous than that because it was showing up insignificant, mm. hoping others would make me significant, right? And so I did that in the corporate world. And then I, I would say that w- 
especially after our first film came out with minimalism, I realized like, oh, this feels good to get this kind of praise, right? Or one of the first tours we went on. And it was, you know, I'm using this colloquially here, but uh, it's doing the right, doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and well, I don't believe in the the right or wrong, the, the moral side of that, but, but I was doing things that could fulfill me, but they weren't fulfilling me because I, my pursuit was insincere. Mm. It's so funny. Like the, the touring and the documentary, mm -hmm. the significance make, it makes me feel like a, like a fraud. Mm. Like all the attention. I'm like, I don't just like, I don't deserve this attention. Like I'm not that great. Uh -huh. It's really weird how, yeah. yeah. It's just funny how like significance is different for, for people. He says, stop for a moment now and contemplate in horror the endless list of attachments you have become a prisoner to. Think of things and persons, not abstractions. Once your attachment had you in its grip, you began to strive, you began to strive might and main every waking minute of your life to rearrange the world around you so that you could attain and maintain the objects of your attachment. Now, obviously, Ryan, that was true in our 20s. Mm -hmm. And as kids as well, not growing up with a whole lot, we would often hoard things, right? But, but in our 20s, it was a different kind of hoarding. It was, a, it was clinging to a bunch of new things a and, and sort of like doing the monkey branch thing of what well, one thing didn't make me happy, now it's the new thing. Mm -hmm. and, and now it's the new thing, and now it's the new thing. And we do that because, yes, they do give us pleasure. Mm. Uh, and and but then of course the threshold goes up the first time you do a vicodin mm -hmm. it's like oh my it's unbelievable right <laughs> but if if a, a heroin addict does one vi vicodin it does nothing for that person right, right? yeah but we're all heroin addicts uh when it comes to consumerism and consumption and of course relationships as well we're addicted to people yeah uh and, and that's not love. Needing someone is, is, is not love. It's the opposite of love. It's holding on to them tightly. You know, I'm going to make you love me. Mm. Doesn't work. Mm -mm. All right. Carrying on here, right, to rearrange. All right. This is an exhausting task that leaves you little energy for the business of living and enjoying life fully. It is also an, an impossible task in an ever-changing world that you simply are not able to control. So instead of a life of serenity and fulfillment, you are doomed to a life of frustration, anxiety, worry, insecurity, suspense, tension. For a few fleeting moments, the world does indeed yield to your efforts and rearranges itself to suit your desires. Then you become briefly happy. Or rather, you experience a flash of pleasure, which isn't happiness at all, for it is accompanied by the underlying fear that at any moment, this world of things and people that you have so painstakingly put in place will slip out of your control and let you down, which it never fails to do sooner or later. And here is something else to ponder. Each time you are anxious and afraid, it is because you may lose or fail to get the object of your attachment, isn't it? Think about that for a moment. Every time you are afraid or anxious, it is merely because you may lose or fail to get the object 
of your attachment. Mm -hmm. Every time we're afraid. And I know we have a question here about fear and insecurities and stuff, but ultimately that's going to be the answer. We're, we're tethered to an outcome. It's the hope conversation Ryan and I had last week. Wow, man. Yeah. It's, I, I don't think I've ever looked at fear that way. Neither have I. But it is. Fear is... It's really the, the feeling that you might lose something. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And, and isn't it fascinating too, Ryan, that we often lose things in our mind before we even got them and we're afraid that we're not going to uh, even get the thing? Yeah. Yeah. We, but we're already fine without it, but we're afraid we're not going to get that whatever it is. Mm. The, the house, the car, the boat, the relationship, the career, the promotion, the money, yeah. the new studio equipment. And then we act on it. It makes me think, and I'm not... I'm not going beyond what I'm saying, but when it comes to like politics yeah, and when it comes to, you know, the crazy fear that we see right now, uh-huh. th- that's what people are doing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they are fearful of, oh, um, this is going to become Germany, not Germany, Nazi, and I'm going to lose my freedom, mm-hmm. which by the way, everyone feels that no matter which side you're on, everyone is like accusing that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that fear is so, uh, it's just, it, that's all it is. It's the fear of losing something. But then we start to act on it. Mm. And when you let that take over, then you have, it, it, yeah, it can, it can escalate very quickly based off of what we're scared of losing that we n- never had in the first place yes. or um, – that's just a ridiculous fear, you know. It would be like if I thought, uh, "Oh, I don't know, man." <sighs> if I thought that Mariah, if I was scared that Mariah was going to cheat on me, mm-hmm. and like that was a fear that I fostered, mm-hmm. and then I started to treat her based on this fear of she's going to cheat on me, yeah. it's going to ruin our relationship. Or you're acting as if she's already cheating on you. Yeah, and then she goes out and cheats on you, and it. See, I knew it all along. Right. But it, it's all because it was a self-fulfilling prophecy in yeah. a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carrying on here. And each time you feel jealous, isn't it because someone may take off, off, may make off with what you are attached to? And almost all your anger comes from someone standing in the way of your attachment, doesn't it? Oh, almost all of your anger comes from someone standing in the way of your attachment Mm. and see how paranoid you become when your attachment is threatened you cannot think objectively your whole vision becomes distorted doesn't it and every time you feel bored isn't it because you are not getting a sufficient supply of what you believe will make you happy of what you are attached to and when you are depressed and miserable the cause is there for all to see Life is not giving you what you have convinced yourself you cannot be happy without. Oh, my God. Almost every negative emotion you experience is the direct outcome of an attachment. Think about, this just made me think about, uh, I don't know if I can expound much more than this, but we have this craving for something that we think is going to make us happy. Someone gets in our way. So then we get angry, but we're getting angry over something that we've never had in the first place mm-hmm. that we only perceive is going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. And we already have an attachment to the thing we don't even have. What a cluster. <laughs> <laughs> so there you are loaded down by your attachments 
and striving desperately to attain happiness precisely by holding on to the load. The very notion is absurd. The tragedy is that uh, the tragedy is that this is the only method that everyone has been taught for attaining happiness, a method guaranteed to produce anxiety, disappointment, and sorrow. Hardly anyone has been told the following truth. In order to be genuinely happy, there is no one and only one thing you need to... Wait, there's one and only one thing you need to do. Let me read that sentence again. Hardly anyone has been told the following truth. In order to be genuinely happy, there is one and only one thing you need to do. Get deprogrammed. Get rid of those attachments. When people stumble upon this self-evident truth, they become terrified at the thought of the pain involved in dropping their attachments. But the process is not a painful one at all. On the contrary, getting rid of attachments is a perfectly delightful task if the instrument you use to rid yourself of them is not willpower or renunciation, but sight. All you need to do is open your eyes and see that you do not really need the object of your attachment at all, that you were programmed, brainwashed into believing that you could not be happy or you could not live without this particular person or thing. Remember how heartbroken you were. One, remember how heartbroken you once were. How you were certain you would never be happy again because you lost someone or something that was so precious to you. But then it happened. Time passed, and you learned to get on pretty well. Did you not? That should have alerted you to the falseness of your belief, to the trick. Your, your program mind was playing on you. Mm. An attachment isn't a fact. It is a belief, a fantasy in your head, acquired through programming. If that fantasy did not exist inside your head, you would not be attached. You would love things and person, you, you would love things and persons and you would enjoy them thoroughly, but lacking the belief, you would enjoy them on a non-attachment basis. As a matter of fact, is there any other way to really enjoy something? Pass in rear view now all the attachments of yours and to see each person or object that comes to mind say, I am not really attached to you at all. I am merely deluding myself into believing that without you, I will not be happy. Just do this honestly and see the change that comes about within you. Quote, I am not really attached to you at all. I have merely cheated myself into the belief that without you, I will not be happy. Mm. It's a lot there. It's I, dense. I love your little bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard too, isn't it, Bex? Yeah. I'm not really attached to you at all. I've merely cheated myself into the belief that without you, I will not be happy. Mm. It's hard yeah. to say. It's hard to yeah. hear. But when we accept it, I do think that we enjoy the person a lot more. We have the capacity to. Mm. Knowing that I'm not needed or that you're not needed means that we're both showing up willingly. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, this, I've, this concept, right, of not being attached to you or to Ella and you know the two people that are most important mm -hmm. in my life mm -hmm. daughter our daughter Ella um, 
I've wrestled with that for the last few months, you know, yeah. especially since you've been so, so sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as painful as it is to like see through that attachment, um, I can also, as painful as it's been to like see through the attach, see, see through the attachment, like, I can understand how much pain it causes. Yeah. Right. Um, both with you, with, you know, as a partner, as a parent, um, it causes all the pain. Yes. And so when I'm able to get over and when you, I know that you understand that me saying I'm not attached to you isn't a isn't a pejorative. No. Um, that's, it makes me feel like I'm not being dragged. Right. Mm. Um, it does give me even more permission. It gives myself the permission to choose to be here every, every day, every moment or with Ella. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're not obligated to be there. Because if you are, that's not love either. Right. Right. If you, if you have to show up at 9am every morning, it's probably not out of love. Mm. It's like, I get to be here. It's yeah. out of obligation. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get to have these moments with you. Yeah. I get to have these moments with Ella. And the other thing, too, that's been freeing is, like, if you were gone, right, I would never be the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> don't worry, it's Patreon, it's right? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Those are the money tears right there. <laughs> <laughs> the space holders, <laughs> we love you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's like I do know I'd be okay, yeah. you know, and I'd find wholeness because mm-hmm. I'm whole now. Like, yeah. you, you not being in the picture isn't going to make me less whole, it's just going to hurt. We've been lied to by by movies and and poetry and and, and you know pop music. Yeah. What was uh was that in Jerry Maguire? You completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it, it it sounds great, but it's yeah. that that's a a fairy tale. It's a it's a terrible belief that we. Mm-hmm. But Bex is complete without me. And yeah, if I were to die, um, then. Y- I mean, I do worry that that's actually my biggest attachment. Uh, mm-hmm. It's my biggest fear. I, I don't generally have a fear of dying. It's just I, I af- I'm afraid of what happens to you and Ryan. Yeah, um, yeah we've talked about that a lot. The yeah, last few weeks. Dude, for sure. You you cannot get out of it that easy, <laughs> right? You wish, man. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. There's the way things are, and they're the way things should be. And what we're talking about with this free of attachment is the way things should be. But the emotion in Bex's voice, mm-hmm. it's the way things are. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because, and I was tr- talking to you about this during the break, about holding space for both. Holding space for being open to letting go of attachment, but there's like real things in our mind that it's easier said than done to just let go of. Because on the on the surface... um to tell Mariah something like I'm not attached to you Mm -hmm. 
it sounds almost like sociopath, sociopathic, mm-hmm. but it's, it comes along with, I try to not be attached to you so I can like truly love you. So mm-hmm. I can do things out of, out of love, not out of obligation. Yes. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just interesting because, you know, w- we are very easily saying, yeah, just learn how to not be attached to things. Oh. But as Bex is literally talking about that, like she can barely get it out because yeah, of the I emotion. Yeah, I don't think anyone's saying, saying it's that. easy to do. In fact, oh, it's, right, it's no. agonizing. Yeah, and, I don't, um, and just to be clear, I'm not saying learn to be attached. I'm saying that all I'm saying is if we're attached, we get dragged. The mm-hmm. less we can attach ourselves to things, the mm-hmm. more tranquility we will find. Without yeah. a doubt. That's, yeah. a, that, that's the perfect way to describe it. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah, that's a, that's a <laughs> solid one. Let me read a, another excerpt here from Love People Use Things. Uh, you don't need permission to be loving. During difficult times, you may want to help. You may want to fix problems, but that's not always possible. You can't help everyone. You can't fix everything. But you can love no matter the situation. Indeed, amid a disagreement, an argument, or even a total fallout, we can love people. Sometimes that love is nearby. Sometimes we must love from afar. Loving someone doesn't mean that you approve of their actions. You can love a cheating spouse, a gossiping coworker, or a lying friend, loving the person, not their behaviors. It is possible to dislike certain parts of someone and still love every piece of them mm. it's interesting like it just it goes uh i don't know man i just went down this rabbit hole of self and what is self yeah but then when we say you can love someone mm-hmm. without you know a piece of the, it's like well who are they then mm-hmm. like what are you loving yeah you know i don't know i just think about like family members and friends and stuff where i love them because of proximity or relationship um and I don't want to let go of that love, but because of a lot of their actions and what they do, it's like very hard for me to be involved with them on a daily basis because of the actions. I don't think love is something we can let go of. Mm. I think that, That's that good. I think that it exists whether or not we, we can't, but anytime we cling, it actually gets in the way of the love. Mm. So the clinging is not love. It is, it, it's the attachment, right? Mm. It's, and so Yes, you, you're right. And you said there are ways that things are the way things should be or the way things you'd like to be, basically, right. is what you mean by that. Yeah, um, of course. And, and yes, the way that I would prefer things are is I don't have any attachments. Right. But I'm currently in the midst of deprogramming. Mm. And, and in that, as I'm you know, coming out of the machine, pulling these tethers off of me, mm-hmm. uh, Almost literally, because like they out of the machine. Are you talking about in the Matrix when Neo's like <laughs> pulling all yeah. the tubes off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> and 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 those are our attachments, right? Yeah. It's the metaphor for that, and and yes, um, it's been really helpful for me the last few months where I've had some some you know, scary times in terms of health and and being in the hospital uh, mm-hmm. several different times, and. And I'm optimistic, especially with all the tests that came back. But even that optimism is an attachment to something, right? Yeah. It's, an atta- it's a hope for the future. And so while I've let go of the vast majority of my attachments, and even to hope in most circumstances, mm-hmm. and even to the uh, attachment to you and Bex to a great extent, w- 
I, I noticed that I, I still have some of those. Sure. And many of those attachments, especially now they're so much more pronounced, it's like if you stopped drinking, if you were drinking coffee 10 cups a day and then you stopped, mm. and all of a sudden you have one cup of coffee and it's like, boom, your mm. mind is just on. Mm. Well, that, that's how I didn't realize how many attachments I had before mm. because there were so many mm. attachments. And now there are the ones that's like, and, and I have that essay out there about the healthy attachments. Like, well, no, there's no such thing as healthy clinging, right? Uh, it's called confined by attachments, if you want to uh, read it, by the way. Um, but Bex, yes, I think that you would experience less misery if you didn't have that attachment to me, right? And so it is my uh, desire to, to drop those attachments so that we aren't increasing anyone else's suffering in a way. Right, yeah. right. And what I've found as I've sort of like, what I've, especially with like, you, my relationship with you and Ella, like my attachment to you and Ella, the way that I'm kind of viewing them is like a rope, right? And like what I've kind of been doing is like plucking and break, like breaking like single uh, strands of the rope. Yes, uncomplecting it. Sure. <laughs> and like, so it's, it's smaller mm. than it was before. The attachment is smaller. Yeah. Mm. The intensity of that is less. I like this metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, and as I've done that, as I've kind of like picked away, so to speak, I do love picking. Um, <laughs> this is very appropriate. Who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> I felt that lessening of the suffering, mm. right? Um, mm. well, I, I, I don't get as marred in your pain. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't get as upset when Ella is upset being <laughs> Ella. <laughs> well, you're incredibly <laughs> compassionate uh, and I'm thankful. We talked about this on the second episode of, of how to love. So I won't go into detail on it, but I'm thankful that you're not very empathetic mm -hmm. uh, because if you had increased empathy, I would suffer more as a result yep. because my pain makes you feel pain. And then of course that's going to increase my pain and, um, and it becomes this sort of downward spiral. We have a bunch of surprise questions this week uh, that podcast Sean pulled for us. Before we get to those, there were two things I wanted to talk about. There was this. Bex and I, we were reading The New Yorker. We, we like to get up in the mornings, and, and I get up a bit before her usually, and then she comes out, and we, we read. And this was an ad in The New Yorker, right? It was actually a two-page ad, but the other page was just an extension of this photograph. Oh, okay. And So it was like a more beautiful... Yeah, scene. yeah, yeah. It's, it's like someone in Iceland. I'll describe it for people listening to this. Uh, Bex, actually, if you want to describe this, it, what what kind of ad is this? By the way, the, the New Yorker has been rendered almost unreadable at this point. Uh, that's a that's a side note. But side t note. talk to me about this ad. So it's a person that looks eerily like Josh. I, I, yeah, I, look closer. I didn't even notice. Look closer at the person. It's a kid, right? It's a, it's a child. Kid. Yeah, it's a child. It's a tall Icelandic child. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the shore, it does look like Iceland. It's a green, you know, volcanic, rocky-ish shore uh, overlooking what I presume is the ocean. Is it the which, ocean or is that ice? I mean, well, it's a glacier, right? Oh, yes. So okay. Right, right, yeah. Beyond the, the water is a glacier and the glacier is sort of hemmed in by two, yeah. by mountains on either side. So this child is taking in 
and being part of this beautiful scenery. Yeah, he's one of the lo- most beautiful photos it's there stunning. is. Right? Yeah. yeah. So he's he's looking out at the scenery, mm-hmm. but behind him is this uh, f- set of four pieces of Louis Vuitton luggage. Yes. yes. And now, Ryan, <laughs> didn't this feel like the perfect metaphor? It does, man. Well, it's like, what? You're going to buy those four pieces of Louis Vuitton luggage and you're going to... Explore the world now? Or or worse, you feel like since you have the luggage, like you don't need to explore, explore the world. Oh, wow. This That's sa- good. This says I'm a... a world traveler yeah right or somehow like worldly person if you buy that luck like we because we see something like this and we're like oh i want to live i want to i want to live this yes i want to experience this Mm -hmm. this would look great on instagram yeah right but subconsciously there's something about the luggage that says well maybe i can't live this whole thing but i could certainly have a slice of this yes and this luggage is offering like a slice of it here's the ironic metaphor is that the baggage that he is carrying is actually preventing him from exploring one of the most beautiful places on earth. Oh, yeah, because he's got to carry all that crap around. Can you imagine exploring Iceland with with all that luggage? This terrible Louis... By the way, I would be embarrassed. Imagine if somehow your packed bag stopped working and you stumbled across one of these and you're carrying Louis Vuitton luggage through the airport next time you are traveling. it it's just it wouldn't feel right, would it? No, no, well, no, not at, certainly not at this point. Um, <sighs> it's also the most impractical luggage I've <laughs> ever seen in my life, both in the ad and in person. Like when you see someone mm-hmm. with what is that a hat box? This type of luggage, you're like, what are Seriously? you doing? Is that a, I think it's a hat box. Is one of the pieces of luggages? Gotta have a hat. Oh my god. Yeah. So the yeah. luggage is literally weighing you down. Yes. And, and preventing you from doing the exploring of this stunning place it's a beautiful ad but i the the metaphor really stood out to me uh let's pivot a bit we'll talk about one thing that we do on uh your podcast how to love is we have a segment called the tinder profile of the month i love those like meme galleries where it's just like tinder profile after tinder (laughs) i haven't seen them oh my god just look it up it Ah. is hilarious yeah because it'll actually give you some really good material because they're really well curated but Mm -hmm. if you're doing one per month like you're yeah you'll have some awesome stuff to choose from for sure so so we're we're making up our own like if we decided to join tinder today Mm -hmm. what would your profile be and so on the first episode bex gave hers and it, it i mean it was it was hilarious. Yeah. Um, so she just, her, her Tinder profile is simply MILF with a Y. Yeah. And I'm like, Josh, what does that stand for? He's like, you'll figure it out. I still <laughs> haven't figured it out. <laughs> really? Yeah. Minimalist, you'd like to F word? She's a mom. Oh, so, so. What is a MILF, Ryan? Yeah, it's, it's, it's from uh, American Pie. <laughs> mom, I'd like to. F word. Uh huh. I mean, I know I can cuss, but I yeah. don't feel like cussing right now. So, but basically, the, so the only difference is you would switch the mom I'd like to with mom you'd like to. Yes. Okay. Am I am I missing something? <laughs> yes, <laughs> clearly. Just doesn't get it. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. what, what no, do you I don't. what do you show up to Tinder for? For that, sex. Yes, right. And so, like, why not get that out there right away? Is like, hey, yes, here's here's why I'm here. Oh, like, yes, I'm, I'm a mom acronym. that you want to. I'm a mom that you want to have sex with. Yes, it says yes. so much too. Like, I'm I a confident it. person. Also, it tells you I have a kid. Also, it tells you I'm interested in having sex. That's why I'm on this app. 
Um, yeah, I just thought it was it was perfect. That is clever. Uh, if if you want mine, uh, you have to listen to the second episode. But Ryan, uh, you you were going to bring one today. Yeah, I was kind of having trouble. The the thing I landed on was uh, something along the lines of like minimalist, uh, minimalist seeking relationship that he's willing to let go of. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, if I were to do one today, That's I think awesome. I think it'd be uh, searching for my little spoon. Oh yeah, that's good. that's good too. Because I'm your big spoon. Yeah, uh, yeah Vex is. Yeah, she's six foot four. Yeah. So the best sex one I could come up with was like minimalist, looking to fill someone's void. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Well, if you have your Tinder profile the of the month, leave it on uh, in the comments on Patreon. I'd love to 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 see some really clever ones all right we got some surprise questions from podcast sean shockwave pure art has a question for us ryan how has minimalism played a part in your relationship vex uh well i mean i strangely it was kind of one of the first things one of the main reasons why we met in the first place i hid it from her for six months <laughs> i went and bought a bunch of clutter and right. put it around the house right tchotchkes oh i'm normal <laughs> <laughs> have you met my business partner on a business <laughs> called the normalist hi i'm joshua fields milborn i'm normal <laughs> and i'm normal <laughs> oh my god not on the spectrum at all <laughs> <laughs> That's what your Tinder profile. Josh Melbourne's not, a, not on the spectrum at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's yeah. great. Bex, so, um, yeah, we met because of met because minimalism. Of minimalism right? Oh, and because and of Ella. Ella. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she paid us to come speak at Montana University. Right. It's the only way she could get your attention yeah. by offering you money to speak. Uh-huh. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> Nah. She, the good thing she gave us fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> I do remember thinking, like, you are really undercharging us. Yeah, we yeah, found I think that we out. Like seven hundred bucks. Or yeah, something. something yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. Anyway, <laughs> it wasn't about. It, it was such a simple gig. Like, yeah, yeah. we walked over and gave a talk. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was like the best seven hundred dollars we've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it certainly has helped uh, because we have similar values. We have similar aesthetic preferences as well. That mm-hmm. that has been. Uh, important for us to not drive each other crazy um but also i think we have a, a deep understanding so that even when we have different preferences mm-hmm. it and similar foreheads oh yeah and now it's <laughs> like we look too much alike yeah. all the it's time we get brother and sister and i always say yes appropriate. and then tongue kisser oh, no, i love it it's hilarious <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yes uh minimalism certainly plays a a role in our relationship but it's not the defining characteristic it is a it is a tool that we use in our lives separately and then also it helps our relationship thrive uh, as a result yeah Mm -hmm. for sure Uh, salady has a question how about you guys oh um how about you and mar oh you know so mariah was not a minimalist when she met me and it's funny because she actually said to me a little she's like you always say i'm not a minimalist but she's like i feel like i'm a minimalist now i'm like great I won't let you i'm like yeah no sorry it doesn't serve the narrative that i project on our podcast <laughs> here i bought you some stuff <laughs> so uh so it really didn't serve anything as much as uh it was really nice to like have conversations about what 
minimalism was. I sent her, she sent me the email with like a picture in there of the eggplant. And uh, she was like, you know, what is this minimalism stuff? And I was like, well, I don't want to type out a 10,000 word email for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was like, it's about living intentionally, but me and Josh do a deep dive in this video. It was the Seattle event that mm. the live event where we were like, we were on the Oprah chairs or whatever. Yeah. 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 And it was funny. Cause like she started, she said she was just going to like watch a few minutes to kind of get it. But then like she got sucked into it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, has it played a part in the it's, or it has played a part in the sense that it's created some really meaningful conversations and Mariah's really been able to learn from it, but it certainly wasn't something that like, it didn't bring us together in the sense that we were both minimalists, but it brought us together in the sense that it created meaningful conversation. That's a great way to put nice. it, man. That's, uh, let's skip Salady's question. Okay. I think we answered it on the minimal episode for the most part. Susie L has a question for us. Did you really get married or just say you are without the big cost in paper? Yes and y- yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I actually I have on the, my men's team, I have uh, men who call me out on uh, they, you know, you're not, you're not married. You don't have the piece of paper. And I looked up the definition of marriage mm-hmm. and it sucks because the definition is like a, it's, it's a legal binding. binding. And I'm like, I'm looking for a second definition, Yeah. but dude, we're, I'm, we are redefining it. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When we get caught up in definitions, we get left behind anyway because we're talking about concepts. We're not talking about that which is concrete. Yeah. And and that which is concrete is love. And and so in our society, by the way, marriage is a is a belief. It, yeah. it ultimately it's a product of culture and society and of religion as well. And 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 so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just started thinking when someone asks me if you're married, I'm just going to be like, it's none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, and, and so it's a product uh, of that. It's also a product of ideology, and it's a product. Uh, if someone is saying, you know, I believe this, and therefore it doesn't conform to my beliefs, there are some people who believe if you don't get married in their church, you're not married, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't adhere to to those particular beliefs. Uh, Bex and I, we did a, a deep dive on the first episode of How to Love. So we we have a very long thirty minute answer on on this whole yeah. topic. Mm that I think really dives into it. But to answer your question, yes, we are. And uh, yes, I almost feel we like did it without a big ceremony. I feel like, um, I don't know. I want to, and we're not going to answer it here, but I want to come up with a word that describes two people in a loving, lasting relationship. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that word is. Sure. In our but, culture, it's marriage. But yeah, but mm-hmm. but you know, it's interesting though. I think that... I don't know. I'm just challenging myself right now. Be like, is there something deeper than marriage? Because marriage, the the clinical definition of marriage doesn't sound very loving. It's not. It just no. it just it sounds like a contract, a contract, right? So again, I, we're not going to come up with the answer here. But I'm like, I'm always searching for a word that is something that actually means more than marriage. Because again, on the surface, marriage sounds miserable, but uh, by the clinical definition, the word is love. I yeah. mean, I, I, it, and and we've we've tainted that as well. Yeah, and so it doesn't have the same weight but uh, yes we in our the, the problem is not love it's not marriage it's not the partnership the problem is culture mm-hmm. yeah. our culture has some some beliefs that don't serve us right yeah. and so we can let go of those beliefs we can still use the language that the culture uses because you use language to communicate with other people and so when someone ask the question if they're asking it in good faith 
Then the answer to that, to that is yes. Mm. Now, if it's a gotcha question and it's not sincere, then it's not worth talking about anyway. Yeah. Gnarly Wilderness has a question for us. How do you find the balance between being a couple and being individual people? Well, Mariah, I don't allow her to be an individual person. My wife, my mm-hmm. rights. <laughs> He got it in there. <laughs> He's pro-wife, everyone. <laughs> oh. Bex, balance, being an individual, uh, being a couple. I think what we're learning recently, and maybe you can expand on this for me or disagree with me if you'd like. Uh, just know we'll edit it out if you disagree with me. But um, <laughs> Bex, can I add an additional question to this? Yes. How do you find balance between being a couple and being individual people when you spend so much time apart? Like, is it easier to be individual? Because I, I joked earlier about, oh, just one person has to live in Montana half of the time. Yeah. yeah. And the other person lives in L.A. And then you come together, you know, a couple weeks during the month. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Does that make it easier or harder to be individuals? So just for some context for people who don't know, um, we, Josh and I have two residences. Yes. Uh, one in Los Angeles that he inhabits almost exclusively Mm -hmm. um, and that I come to generally every other week. And the other residence is in Montana um, that Ella and I almost exclusively inhabit. (laughs) And Mariah and I go about once a quarter to stay with Bex. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's because she is the product of my first marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, She's the, and her father is in Montana and wants to, maintain our custody arrangement which is 50 50 mm-hmm. um and so to answer your question yes it does make it easier to maintain our individuality mm-hmm. i think because we do have so much time apart and we do have clearly independent in- existences of, yeah. of, from each other yeah. um but yeah i don't think that th- that's required no, to, to no, no, no. Yeah, I was just individuality within a couple. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious. I think it it works for Josh and I because mm-hmm. we are high. We're very independent, mm-hmm. right? So part of our individuality is that both of us happen to be really, almost fiercely independent, mm-hmm. um, and extreme introverts as well. Mm-hmm. So we like the, generally speaking, we like the arrangement we have. It's yeah. God's flaws, but I'm on a constant pursuit to be left alone, <laughs> and um, I fail at it miserably almost every day. And, and um, no, I, I'm obviously kidding, but I don't. I I do. I look at the question here: How do you find the balance between being a couple and being individual people? There isn't a couple. Yeah. There is no couple. We are two individuals mm. who happened to like choose to be together yeah, and there is no you know, like even with us the, the, the five of us in this room or you look at jess she's not here but mm-hmm. she's on the team i'm saying that in vocal quotes here mm-hmm. but there is no team it's highly functioning individual people who have their own own things that they that they do right mm-hmm. uh, and even in a team sport right there there are there are constituent components that when operating at the same time, produce a desired result. Mm. Now, in a relationship, it's not about producing a desired result. In a relationship, it involves two people. Or three. 
or three or four. Yeah, what, what, yeah. They're, they're, they're thruples. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, and even then, in any any say say you have some sort of polyamorous relationship, mm-hmm. there still isn't a group or a thruple there. There are three individuals, mm-hmm. right? And and as they you know, come together, oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was your own fault. <laughs> I, I I didn't have a better way to describe that. <laughs> um, you th- saw it coming, and you're just like, oh my god, there she goes again. I can't stop. Anyway, I, I look at at any um, any interaction as as two individuals or more. And what they bring to the table, to the relationship, to the interaction, mm-hmm. and and yes, of course that that changes over time and changes depending on the two people in which you're talking about. But um, being with each other all the time would not work well for Bex and I at all. In fact, mm-hmm. Bex and and Ella, for a certain extent, have been here for the last four weeks in a row. Mm. And it's uh, the longest period of time we spent together ever in mm-hmm. our entire relationship. Yeah, never ever. I, I've never By seen. By far. Yeah, it's not even close. And and that doesn't mean that it's appropriate for someone else. Mm-hmm. It simply means that we thrive by having enough time apart, and it does make the time that we're together a lot more enjoyable, passionate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it. Um, it y- I don't want to say more special, but it feels more special, mm. right? Be- mm. Because, um, because it's limited. The constraints. Well, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, you know, what is it? Distance makes the heart grow fonder. So it, it would. Does. I mean, that's another way of saying that makes it a little bit more special. Yeah, yeah. I like the way that Colin Wright talked about couples. Okay. Like the two, the individuals. Yeah. Each person as a whole. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't complete me. I'm complete, b- complete on my own. Yeah. Mm. If um, anything, you incomplete me. Yeah. Mm. Which is yeah. a hard thing to grasp, right? Mm. Right. Right. If 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 we bring a toxic relationship to into my life, all of a sudden it depletes me, and therefore you incomplete me. Yeah. In yeah. a way. Yeah. That's uh, that's in a nutshell of my first marriage. Yeah. But I- and so when you when you found a relationship that didn't drain you, you realized well you're already complete on your own. And if, if you bring a relationship into your life that begins to drain you and makes you incomplete, then, man, that's a, that's a dangerous relationship, isn't it? Yeah. So what I hear you two saying, and then I think about Mariana's relationship, who we are together all the time, every day. I can't, the, I can't think of the last time I went a day without Mariah. She went to go visit her sister earlier in 2020 before... Mm-hmm the pandemic and she was gone for like a week or something. Um, but the similarity is that we go out of our way to support each other's individual pursuits or individualness, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But like, yeah, she will, uh, she goes and rides horses with her friend. Um, she loves to like draw and she's like, it's awesome to like watch her getting better and better at her art. Um, and I'm there to just, support her and doing what she what she wants to do so even mariah and i who spend pretty much 24 7 around each other we can have these individual pursuits and that's how you well what's their question and uh balance balance. between the couple and yeah and being an individual so that's how you uh find 
ways to be individual people is you support one another to be individual people and to support individual pursuits. And, you know, early, earlier relationships that I was in, I would, you know, she hated my individual pursuits, man. So like I would go hang out with you uh-huh. and then, well, why can't I be part of it? And it's like, well, I mean, you can, but also like I'm an individual person mm-hmm. who wants to go hang out with my friend. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the relationship will get toxic. We, I think we realize, or we fail to realize that we can respect someone's dreams or someone's desires or someone's preferences, yeah. right? Without needing to be involved in them. In fact, that's one way to sometimes disrespect their preferences, right? Mm-hmm. If she wanted to tag along to everything that you were doing, mm-hmm. not allowing you to be an individual, that's disrespectful. Yeah. And, and I, oh, sorry. Well, last thing, yeah. the dreams thing is, is recognize that two people who engage in a relationship, they generally are going to have different dreams at some point in time. It doesn't mean you have to become entangled in that dream. Mm -hmm. It simply means that you can honor it. You can respect it. You can appreciate that. In fact, you can be excited for their excitement without needing to... um, I I think the honest way to that says I'm I'm excited despite your excitement Um, or I'm happy despite your uh, excitement. Hmm. But because ultimately... I can't let my own happiness depend on the fulfillment of some desire of someone else anyway. Yeah. I feel like I got to throw the caveat in of that relation doesn't make her a bad person. That relationship that I was in, it doesn't make her like that. It isn't a judgment like, Oh, well she always wanted to be included on everything that I did. Um, it just wasn't compatible. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just throwing in case she's listening to this. Like it's not, yeah, it's not good or bad. It just is. Penny Lane has a question for us. Penny Lane. All right. Uh, What are your fears as you settle into your relationship? Do you have insecurities and do you discuss them openly? Any tips to increase intimacy, excitement in a day-to-day where everyone is working from home and in lockdown for nine months and counting? (laughs) P.S. What's in your fun box? We'll start with that one. Bax, what's in your fun box? (laughs) Um... I'm gonna assume she means our sex toy box. Yeah, we have a sex toy box. Um, <laughs> that yeah. Fun box could be taken different ways. Yes. Women especially. But uh, yeah, well, sex toy box. Uh-huh. I don't know the names of any of the products that we. <laughs> this episode brought right? to you by right? Bex and Josh's Fun Box. The toy <laughs> toy box. Um, but there yeah there are various uh, toys in there that bring us pleasure for a while. We mm. don't tend to. It's our, like the one area where we're not minimal. I, I don't agree with that, but I understand why you would say it. Like we, we have a box of sex toys that if we stop using it for a period of time, we get rid of them. It's true. It's true. And, and so it's like we don't hoard anything. Now, we no. don't, we're also not reliant on sex toys yeah. for our sex life, and I yeah. think that's, uh, that's the distinction. We don't need them. In fact, most of the times that we have sex, we don't, it doesn't require any accoutrement. Right, and I think that's why sometimes it feels like it's not minimal in in quotes right is because the vast majority of the time they don't get used but it's real fun to have them around for when we want to use them right totally yeah i mean there's basic stuff in there yeah nothing's yeah nothing crazy hitachi magic wand a lot of things that vibrate basically yeah oh yeah it's a 
back massager. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah there, there, there are a lot of Several things. Several different vibrating things. Yeah. 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 And uh, some have remotes. Yes. Some don't. Okay, <laughs> we'll stop now. There's uh, a, a harness under the bed that sometimes Ella asks oh us what God. it is. That's the only time she's asked me about it. Oh, she asked me once. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, she saw the... Usually we pick it up and put it away when she comes over, and yeah. I totally forgot about it this last time that she was here. Mm. She's like, what's that thing under the bed? <laughs> I'm like, what? She's like, the black thing. It's like, no. Oh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a toy. What kind of toy? Because <laughs> we don't lie to her, right? And so I was like, I'm getting to the point where, you know, she's almost eight. Mm. And I'm, I'm starting to introduce the concept of, are you sure you want to ask me this question? Mm. You know, because she's learning that we're not going to lie to her. Uh-huh. And that I think as she's getting older, there are answers that she really doesn't want to hear. Yes. Um, and so this was kind of one of those situations where she's like, what is it? I'm like, oh, it's a toy. What kind of toy? An adult toy. And, you know, it'll change my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, she kind of gave me a funny look. She goes, oh, <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> or like, oh, no fair. Like her favorite phrase is, uh-huh. is no, no fair. No fair. Um, so apparently she wants a, a harness. Let's talk about. <laughs> She's like, but I want to swing. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, your fears as you settle into the relationship. Do you have insecurities? And do you discuss them openly? Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, that's the only way to have a good relationship is to talk about your fears and insecurities with the other person. You think? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because Ryan and I have been together for seven years now, going on eight years. Um, I'm a different... I'm a different person than when we first started because I still had a lot of insecurities and jealousies and um, yeah, the only way I've been able to get past them and to grow as an individual and as a couple, um, I mean, we just put it all out on the table and uh, it's uncomfortable sometimes, but um, I think that's the only way to have a really strong relationship is to talk about those fears and insecurities in a way that the other person wants to have a conversation because if you're projecting your fears and insecurities, <laughs> that's not going to help you grow as a couple. Yeah. No. But if you can approach it in a way of like, Hey, let's explore my feelings, why I feel this way and how can we together figure out how to get past this? Like that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I feel like that's really helped Mariah and I. Back to what about you all? Fears or insecurities? Oh, the way that I read this was like within the context of like the start of a relationship. Mm. Um, and when we, when we first got together, we were really open with each other, mm-hmm. not about fears and insecurities, because at least I don't think neither, either one of us has a whole lot of them to be honest. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember the first question that you asked him was, what are your intentions? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. But the, I don't feel like that's a fear or an insecurity. It was mm-hmm. just like I was trying to figure out. You're what trying to have an understanding if, of yeah. what I expected. Right. Yeah. What your, what his interest was, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And like I kind of got the vibe, especially as a new single mom, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, eh, like yeah, how does this whole dating thing go? Like yeah. I, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I can't go on a million 
dates, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever. And so we were communicating via email and I was really enjoying our, our banter and, um, it seemed like he was as well. So mm-hmm. I was like, just wanted some clarification there. Yeah. And the you clarification ma- I got was like, not clarification. Right. But um, you wanted to know the path it that wa- he was taking you down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll Which, talk about that clarification then. I mean, it, it was clarifying, but it in this- wasn't the answer you were looking for. It, w- <laughs> it wasn't what I expected. Right. Which it wasn't as, yeah. To the point is what I expected. Well, yeah, my, my 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 basic response to you was like, "Hey, I, you asked what what are my intentions." I said, uh, "A friendship." Yeah. And if it goes uh, beyond there, great. If not, then great. We still have a nice friendship. Like yeah. I, I would prefer that first than, you know, see where chemistry takes us, right? Right. And and that went well because I was on tour for a couple months. We were on the word tasting tour, right? Mm. So I didn't really see her for like a, a two month period, but we. We were like pen pals for that period of time. Mm-hmm. Similar to what happened with you and Mariah yeah. in 2014, we went on a year ten month, tour. yeah, yeah, yeah. year long tour basically. That that uh, you you got to see Mariah occasionally throughout that, but mm-hmm. you really built up your relationship remotely in a way. Yeah, and it didn't rely on chemistry as a result. Right. I think that's uh, that was an important distinction. Um, yeah, I don't really have any insecurities, uh, but. Uh, about the relationship, at least. I'm, I have lots of insecurities in, in my own life. But yeah. um, with respect to our relationship, um, so insecurities come from what? They they come from... Fear. Right, right. Uh, Fear of losing something. Right, right. And, and so in a way, it comes from caring, right? Mm. And And so quite often the things that we feel insecure about, it just means we care too much about mm. those things. Mm. And yeah. in a position of, of indifference is really where confidence can come from. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so does that mean, well, I think you should be indifferent to your significant other. No, no, certainly not. But I find it helpful to be as close to indifferent as possible, given my current sh- constraints, to the attachment mm-hmm. of of the relationship. Yeah. And I think when we first started dating, uh, both of us were pretty indifferent. Yes. I, I, th- I was very indifferent. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you know, sure. Yeah. I, I was very attracted to you, and I loved the... I loved what you do, mm-hmm. right? Like I was like, that's a, it's a soulful thing, right? And it's a passionate thing. And that's really attractive to me. Mm. Um, and so I was like, yeah, it seems like a great person to get to know. Mm. And Ella was <laughs> very pro Josh, yeah, um, which was funny. But yeah, I I was I was pretty anti relationship when we met, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was like, I'm gonna be single for a long time. And by the way, so was I. And so when I talk about indifference, this is what I'm what I'm talking about yeah. here is we going into this, we were already showing up full, and we didn't need a relationship. Right. In fact, in love people use things, the thing I write about in there is, I found love when I stopped looking for it. When I stop needing it, and really what I'm saying there is when I stop being attached to it. Because insecurity 
is there only in contrast to security. And when we say the relationship will bring me security, the job will bring me security. I mean, what is the phrase we bandy about all the time? Job security. Mm. Could there be a bigger misnomer than that? Uh, and, and because, uh, of course, any job can be taken from you, especially if you're not in control, right? Uh, we think of all of these things as security, money security. Well, money doesn't buy you, you know, a greater health. Look at Steve Jobs, right? Um, Too soon. <laughs> he says that even when I say Napoleon Bonaparte. Whoa, dude, way too soon. <laughs> <laughs> we got one more question here from April. April wants to know, can you discuss your thoughts on non-monogamy? Can you discuss your thoughts on non-monogamy? This makes me, the question, as I was reading this uh, before I read it out loud and I was reading it to myself, can you discuss your judgment on non-monogamy is how this question is presented to me. Huh. Oh. Because it's like, well, I mean, because it, it, it really, like our thoughts is like, what's our judgment on, on non-monogamy? Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't read it like that. I read it as uh, how do you, I read it as, as a, a um, do you two as a couple um, believe it's good, bad, or indifferent for a relationship? But isn't that, that's a judgment though, right? Yeah, yeah. If I was, yeah, if I was making a judgment about someone else's relationship, for sure, that would definitely be a judgment. Oh, I see. In, in terms of our relationship, um, yeah, you want to talk about this? Yeah, how far do you want to go down the hole? So, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already started, so you might you, as well. If you round up to six inches, six inches. So, um, in the first episode of How to Love, we talk about a concept called cleft relationships. Yeah, I don't want to. We're I, not going to go down that that hole. Yeah, we, we could, <laughs> but it's a long answer, right? I know. And, and so. I just wanted to put that out there that like. Yeah. We go down there. We, we go down this this sort of non-monogamous-ish rabbit hole on that first episode of How to Love. Right. So if you're curious about a yeah. much more in-depth answer to this question, you can go there. You'll never guess what a cleft relationship is. Find out in episode right? one of How to Love. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so, <laughs> totally made-up word. Yeah, yeah, it, and it's a made-up concept that, that we, we sort of came up with. But I will say this to give you a, a summary in terms of monogamous relationships i think it ultimately comes down to culture right we've been acculturated mm. to believe a few things one is that we must be monogamous mm -hmm. to another person if we want to be moral if we and i don't i think that's nonsense I, I think there are plenty of moral people who are not in a monogamous relationship, who aren't in a relationship at all. Mm -hmm. And there are immoral people who are in a monogamous relationship, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so morality is, uh, should not dictate uh, whether or not our, um, should not How dictate. How partners we have. Yeah, our, our, our you know, partnership preferences, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, I think the question around this is like, how do you define monogamy? How do you define cheating and, 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 and all of these things? And I think those things need to be defined by the individuals who, who come to the table. Absolutely. We have a good friend, Ryan, who has been in several uh, non-monogamous, you know, polyamorous relationships. Mm -hmm. 
and he has found ways to thrive in, in, in those relationships, right? Mm-hmm. But it does complex things by definition, yeah. right? So to complex is to add more than one thing, to intertwine more than one thing together. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have three strands, that's more than two. It is more complex. Mm. You go beyond that and it becomes infinitely more complex. Yeah. A piece of me wants to say, if if you don't find happiness with yourself, like it doesn't matter if you're in a monogamous or non-monogamous relationship, which leads to if you're in a monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. you're going to think you're going to be happier in a non-monogamous relationship. Mm. And then if you're in a non-monogamous relationship, at a certain point, you're going to be like, maybe... Maybe monogamy is what I want to do. Mm. So, yeah. It, that's often seeking out the the thing you don't have, right? Yeah. And then once you get, th- it's the same, it's, it's consumerism for the soul, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. that, that, that could be a good podcast title, Sean. Consumerism. I don't think it is for this one, but we maybe, maybe in the future. Mm. Um, so... It, because it's or consumerism for relationships, relationships in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. It's object A, Partners. like that Peter talks about. Yes, yeah, yeah. and and once it Peter becomes, it, once you have that object A, it's it's what uh, um, Anthony DeMello talks about with um, when he works with priests. They're always talking about sex. When he works with prostitutes, they're always talking about God. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's it's because we perceive the thing we don't have. The object A is going to be the thing that doesn't just make us happy, mm-hmm. but completes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that is the showing up empty or showing up half empty or whatever and expecting to just be, to, to have them pour their love and acceptance and everything else into me as though that is going to complete me. Mm. But it's going to, every relationship has an us box in the middle of it and we do give and take. The problem is when we start treating it like it's not tennis, you know, the, the, the tennis the analogy where a score of zero, right? You could take something from that, from that box, but the score has to remain at zero. As soon as you turn on the scoreboard it's over. for that us box, it's over, man. Game's over. Yeah. Yeah, so th- that's how I, I look at non-monogamy. I think it's often appropriate for some people. I think it's not appropriate for other people. And I think there are varying degrees of monogamy and non-monogamy yeah. as well. And that's sort of what we talk about with the cleft thing. That's that's great. Let's Find out. There. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a great place to end it, y'all. Um, podcast, How to Love, patreon.com slash how to love. Rebecca, thank so you for sure. being here today. Thanks for having me, guys. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love you. Thanks for being had. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Ryan. I love you, Jordan. I love you, Sean. And, and Jess and everyone listening to this yes. except yes. for you, Jeff. don't forget about scott (laughs) Uh, he's all right oh yeah you're right we love scott (laughs) but samantha (laughs) and karen (laughs) (laughs) all right y'all we're just no in in all seriousness uh yeah we do love you yes and we're grateful for you thank you for being a patreon supporter you can check out bex's new podcast how to love we'll put a link to that in the show notes all right y'all love people Use things. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Don Minimus.